The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Good morning. Thank you so much for that warm welcome. Um, we arrived at our motel last night, and um, lo and behold, there is a basket, like big, waiting there from harvest with a card and everything. So, like, like <laughs> we're home. <laughs> so, um, it, it feels like home, definitely is like home, and uh, we're just excited. I bring you greetings from Harvest St. Louis. We were uh, in the first 20. I think um, you were church number two, right? And so I'm very fond of Pastor Todd, and uh, I've sat under his teaching, uh, both in classroom and, and also uh, heard him preach several times, and he's been a really, really great inspiration to me and, and a great teacher to me. Um, life is a journey, isn't it? My journey is, you know, I became a senior pastor when I was 44 years old. I was a worship pastor for 17 years, but uh, life is a journey, so God just sent me on it. And uh, um, when we came here, we were on a journey, and we drove about 13 hours or so, and, and we left straight from church on Wednesday night after a class, and just th- thinking, you know, calling back home and, and sending texts, uh, honey, did you, remember the, did you remember the sweater? We need a sweater up there. Uh, do we have our passports? You now need a passport to go to Canada again. Um, the things we need to remember and things we should never forget when we continue on this journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. And those are some of those things that I would like to talk to us about today from the Word. So if you have your Bible, and I take it everybody does, because this is Harvest Bible Chapel, that's our middle name, please open them to uh, Philippians chapter 1. I would like to start reading in verse 12. This is the Apostle Paul writing from his journey as he made a, um, quite a bit a long stop there, I think, in prison. And uh, he's writing to his brothers, saying these words, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that what I am... what I put here for the defense of the I am put here for, for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Let me pray for us one more time. 
Father, I thank you for your strong word. Lord, we embrace that which was passed on to us by those who taught us that we proclaim the authority of God's word without apology. This is the word you gave us. This is the word we speak. So I just pray in Jesus' name that, Father, you would help me to uh, be in tune with what you desire to say today. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that this word would cut deep in their hearts. And Father, if there is anyone here that doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that perhaps through this word today, their hearts would be revived. And they would embrace the grace, respond to it, and be born again. I pray this in His glorious name, the name of Jesus. Let the church say, Amen. Amen. Well, I have four things for us. Or I believe the Lord has four things for us. So uh, pull out your outlines, uh, if you would. uh, And let's, let's get to the Word. The Gospel is not cheap. The Gospel was paid for by the life of Jesus Christ. It is not cheap. Now what we bring is not as important as it was already said here by one of the worship leaders, right? But what may be important is... What we remember on the journey, some of those things that are important. Jesus paid it all, but let us also remember that we are invited. It's one of those things that sometimes we don't embrace as readily. We are invited to partake in the fellowship of His suffering. So write this first thing down. Let's start with this. True ambassadorship for, for Christ is costly. Verse 12, I I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul is in prison. He's suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not choosing that, but he is willing to go through that. Let me ask you this. What is the purpose of prison? Don't they call it a correctional institution, right? Well, Pastor Dan shared a little bit from the testimony. I want you to know, you're you're facing a man that's been in prison in three different countries. And I've been in prison in communist Czechoslovakia. And I said to Pastor Dan, because earlier in the practice, he said something about Soviet Union. I said, if you say I'm from there, you're preaching the second service. (laughs) But in every prison, there are two kinds of prisoners. This is how you survive. When somebody asks you what you're in for, you either greatly exaggerate, like I stole a bag of coffee that equals like I murdered 10 people, and you better not mess with me. And, and, and that's how you survive. You just lie. And you make it like you're like the most fearsome person or feared person so that everybody will stay away from you. Or you go the other way. And that's like a lot of the guys do that. And the answer is, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. That was me. Um, But in Paul's case, you can say that he doesn't say any of that. And listen, this is the same in every prison in every country. I went to a lot of prisons in the United States as a minister. It was the same story there. But not so with the Apostle Paul. He's not going to be corrected from what he is in for. Because he is in for the Lord Jesus Christ, and the gospel. He says 
in verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. See, even, even the people that, that guarded him, like, got a piece of the gospel. And to the, to the rest of them, everybody else that, heard, that has heard, like, Paul is in here for Jesus. No correction on that. No denial of that. My imprisonment, he says in verse 13, is for Christ. You see, ambassadorship, by definition, is a visible thing. There's no hiding. I've met some ambassadors, by the grace of God, got to sing some for some in, in, in the early days when I was still in the opera house. And, and listen, these are people that just can't shut their mouth. But talking about speaking on behalf of their country, on behalf of their citizenship, on behalf of the king or the president. That's us on behalf of Jesus Christ. Short of the king stepping in himself. We are it. We're the best thing for the proclamation of Jesus Christ. That's our charge. Let me ask you this. If you were to go to jail for Jesus Christ, if I was to go to jail for Jesus Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict us? He's an ambassador. We're in the world. We're the enemy. Put them in jail. You know, that's happening right now in South Africa, in other parts of the world. Make no mistake, it's coming. But if, if it were to happen now, would there be enough evidence for us to be convicted? Now suppose a call is issued, right? And, and, and the Canadian president comes in and says, in one of the terrorist-ruled countries, our ambassador was just killed. Who's going to go for Canada? Who's going to go for us? And in a circle of your friends, you're standing and your hand goes up and you say, I will go. I love this country. I will go to stand for what we stand for, for our freedoms. Do you think that would help the confidence of the people standing with you? You bet it would. And so it is with Jesus. You know, if you are in a circle of friends and in a circle of people that are in your daily walk and you just kind of have fellowship with a friendship, when you speak out for Jesus, when your ambassadorship becomes obvious, their confidence, as they may be sitting on the fence or they may be just one step away, they may be making that decision for a long time, I, I need to fill this void in my life. Maybe I should bow down to this king of kings that this guy confesses. And then the guy speaks out with boldness. That helps. Confidence is built. The heart is stirred. If we are willing to pay the price for the gospel that the Apostle Paul was willing, that instills confidence. Write this down. Willingness to pay the price generate confidence in others. If it costs me, it's for the confidence of other Christians around me and perhaps even those that are on the journey about to enter through the gate of life so that they enter 
with confidence. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What a great, great testimony. You see, it became known. Two things became known. Not two excuses, but two things. Number one, Paul is no criminal. Paul is a good man. Paul is a caring man. Paul is a loving man. He's a bold man. And the second thing, out of the first one, is that the thing that Paul is here for is urgent. It matters a great deal. It makes a difference in people's lives. And for Paul, and for the message he stands for, it's worth being in chains. I remember in 2001, you know, our church in St. Louis, we actually launched in 2007. But we started from a ministry that was called the Czech Symphony Project. And uh, it's a sort of an exchange ministry where we uh, bring music groups from the Czech Republic. You know, due to the former classical music background, we kind of reach out and we bring symphony orchestras and uh, jazz orchestras and choirs and in October, we're going to have a, guess this, accordion orchestra in St. Louis, right? Accordion orchestra. It's like 20 teenagers from the Czech Republic. And, and we house them with our families, and we give them materials, so we give them Bibles at times. And, and, you know, nowadays things change because they have these postmodern minds, and so we have, like, different ways how we go about it. But we then set up a tour, and we bring them to different Harvest Bible chapels. Last time, when we had the symphony, they were like in four different churches up around Chicago. And, and then they just come. They are in the worship service with us. And then they play concerts. And people come and love on them. Christians house them. And at the end of their two-week stay, some of them come to Jesus. And we did that since 1995. Brought it to St. Louis. And then our church, the core group, the initial the 18 people that gathered were from this group. They were all musicians, like trombone players and clarinet players. And now they are like elders in our church. And... And so that's how we started with our journey. But in 2001, we lived in Houston, Texas. And our very first mission trip to the Czech Republic, you know, in 2000, when we started sending people there also, not just bringing people here. We, we got together this gospel choir from our little Presbyterian church. And, uh, and when the call went out, about six months before the trip, nobody signed up. People go like, how do you pronounce that? You know, they split. It's the Czech Republic now, Slovakian Republic, because nobody could spell it. So they split. And, and, and so, like, is the food any good? Can we drink the water? Is it going to be like Mexico, like you, like stomach sick the next, next day? And, and so finally, the pastor's wife signed up. I'm going to go. I'm going to sing gospel in the Czech Republic. She was this young lady, and you say, well, like, that's what the pastor's wives are supposed to do, right? And except she was six months pregnant with twins. So, you know, when you're six months pregnant with twins, you look like you're nine months pregnant, and, uh, and then you have three months to go. And so she signed up for the trip and went in. And as, as soon as she did that and people saw her condition, we had like 
One person after another had a group of 30 that go. But listen, these were people, some were with strong diabetes, others have arthritis, they couldn't walk. We had a woman with a stage 3 Parkinson's that signed up. And, you know, Parkinson's is a terrible disease. And she was walking around like this. Sometimes she couldn't even pull out her wallet to pay for her meal. But when we stood on these stages in these little theaters in the Czech Republic, and she raised her hands to sing the gospel, the shake was gone. And she was empowered by the Lord. And people came to Jesus. Now, that gave the confidence to the church. And listen, our church just really, the people started to get after it. And, and then we realized, you know what? It's not just the people we go to. We are the mission. We're Christians, but we need confidence to be bold. To hold up that pillar of boldness. That's what's happening here. Maybe you are sitting on a fence here today, thinking I should go and talk to my neighbor. I talked to him over the fence last night or, or you know, out of the car window or something. I, I should have said something about Christ or invite them, invited them to, to, to church or confidence. Maybe as we love one another and, and, and as we spur one another on and as we are willing to suffer. To be inconvenienced, maybe not like the people in South Africa right now, but in our own way. To step out of the zone of comfort and, and be a little bit uncomfortable. Others will be encouraged. Because my willingness to pay the price generates confidence in others as we are on the journey led by the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's simple. Maybe they just need an extra teacher in higher ground, in harvest kids, right? Maybe uh, the setup team here needs some help. And maybe if you step up, somebody else will with you. But sometimes it's harder. Sometimes it may be like the reconciliation that you don't want to do. That person that has hurt you. That person that is stubborn and doesn't want to reconcile, doesn't want to make that step toward you. And yet, if you and I are willing to humble ourselves and stick with it, and maybe even be humiliated for the sake of Jesus, to admit our fault and just leave the consequences with God, maybe in your marriage. You know, it happens even to pastors that you may even have a fight on the way to church. And then you like worship the whole time and have that feeling like, I'm guilty. I should not take communion. I am. A... It's like, you know, there is a better way. You repent. Put your arms around your spouse and say, I'm sorry. Do you think that would instill confidence in them for the Lord Jesus Christ? You bet it will. That's what it takes. I love that verse that says, they became confident by my imprisonment. Here's the question. Are you willing to go to jail, like right now? To the prison of your own emotions? To the prison of all, all the inconvenience? Maybe be imprisoned by somebody else's language. That may be repulsive for a while. So you can just hang in there until the moment when you tell them about Christ. 
Are you willing to be imprisoned by somebody else's bigotry and prejudice? Just to stay in that jail a little bit longer to tell them about Jesus. And if someone's standing with you or someone's standing around you will gain confidence through your willingness, then you have accomplished that purpose in volunteering for that prison. And you may say, okay, I really want to be the inspiration. Somehow, when I'm tested under pressure, you know, when God just puts me in His pressure cooker, and, and, and when the circumstances are less than ideal, my determination kind of falls short. I just... Well, write this down. Maybe this will help. The secret of lasting determination is godly motivation. It could be also like divine motivation, if you like that word better, or eternal motivation. Certainly a motivation that is not from this world, but something that will last, something that will not, not crumble down when the pressure is increased. What are some of the reasons that we have for going on the journey and, and sticking with it, you know? For, for going to church and attending, even when we don't feel like it. For sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even when we're scared that we're going to get rejected. What are some of the reasons why we proclaim Him? Well, there are two kinds of reasons. The first ones are the good reasons. Write that down. Good reasons. But good reasons can be secondary reasons. You see... There are some secondary reasons. I'm sure for these people might have been good reasons for them. But Paul talks about them in verse 15 when he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. I want to be as good as Paul. Well, all right. That's a good reason. But if it corrupts your heart, they shouldn't be envious. And, and you're going to like enter into this competition with Paul. Good luck, by the way. Verse 17 says, not sincerely. See, they're not doing that for Jesus. They're doing it for themselves. Not sincerely. In fact, they're kind of sick of Paul a little bit. Like, look at all the attention that God gets. Let's see if we can make it a little harder for him. Verse 17, thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment, like wouldn't be hard enough to be in jail. Obviously, some men at that time... They were jealous of Paul's apostolic power, of his authority. They became the accusers of the brother. You may say, well, pastor, hey, let's look at it positively, okay? We're positive people in Canada. How about if they just got a little carried away? That's a better way to put it. Maybe a little bit too competitive, that's okay. Well, one way or the other, verse 17 says that they didn't do it sincerely. I think that's the key. See, the Jesus of the gospel stopped being the reason for them. Maybe you have some secondary reasons this morning. And I want to step on some toes, if there are some toes to, toes to be stepped on. Maybe it's, um, if it's anything like Harvest St. Louis, I've encountered some people that said, Well, I'm here really for my kids. Like, I'm pushing my kids ahead of me and hiding behind them. That's really what the guy was saying. I, I'm here for my kids. It's good to give them the moral foundation. 
It's like, dude, tomorrow foundation. Like, you can go to, to hang with the Buddhists, okay? For that. They have a moral foundation. We have the living God. Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. That was laid. Maybe I'm here for, I mean, fill in the blank. The first reasons. My cousin goes here. Or it's close to my house. I like the pastor. I'm sure a lot of people are here for that. When Todd preaches. I like the music. In 1998, in the Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England, Pastor Mike Pilavachi stood up and he declared to the people, in our journey as a church, we have lost our way. Pretty bold step. I could relate. See, they were bickering and fighting about hymns and choruses, about contemporary and traditional music. And he said to them, when you come through this door on Sunday, what are you bringing as your offering to God? And the decision was made by the elders and by the pastor, and the staff was sticking with it as well, that for the next four weeks they don't have any instruments. No instruments. No sound systems. No technical stuff. So the first Sunday comes, and when it came time to sing, there was an awkward silence. And then into the silence, one or two voices just peeled out. Sounded weird. But one by one, even as the attendance was steadily declining in those four weeks, the people have rediscovered their purpose. They laid down their conveniences. And they discovered genuine praise, heartfelt praise. And in the midst of that, their young worship leader, a guy that you may know by the name of Matt Redman, wrote a song that comes out of that transition. It's called the heart of worship. As we sing it at the end, remember that. It's the inconvenience. It's, it's, it's the godly motivation that needs to be found again. Those are the things to remember when the journey gets hard. My wife and I met in Massachusetts. And she went to college it was right um, in, at the University of Amherst in Massachusetts. It's right next to Enfield, Massachusetts. In 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon. Actually, Enfield is in Connecticut. This was Northampton. The sermon he preached, you may remember from history, was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And this revival just broke out. And, and gave birth to what was called the Great Awakening in America. But not too many people know that short nine years later, things kind of changed around for Pastor Jonathan Edwards. And his own church voted him out. He was dismissed. You know why? Nine years later, still the Great Awakening going on. He was dismissed because he insisted that only Christians who confess Christ, who have a confession of Christ, only those in the church, will receive communion. That was it. It makes sense to me. 
Don't we say it every Lord's Supper? If you are not a believer, this is not for you. You can repent now and have a meal with the Lord Jesus Christ and come to Him now. But if not, maybe it's not your time, just be honest. Let those elements pass. Jesus gave this to His family. I don't know how that conversation went with, uh, between Him and the elders, but... Okay. You're out, Jonathan. A preacher in the hands of an angry church. A church that lost its way. I'm sure they had good reasons. But you see, those were not the best reasons. Good reasons, then best reasons. The best reasons. Write that down. The best reasons. Pastor James McDonald once said, Good things become bad things when they crowd out the best things. I'd like to paraphrase that and say to us that good reasons can become bad reasons when they replace the best reasons. So there is only one set of, one set of reasons to have this lasting determination. The best reasons. The reasons I hope you are here for today. Verse 15 says, Others do it from goodwill. Out of love. Knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. Now, I don't know what your circumstances are today. You may be going through a really tough time. But you are put in that time for the defense of the gospel. In fact, would you just encourage one another? Just turn to one another and the person on your, on your left and say, You're here for the defense of the gospel. That's right. And turn to the person on the other side and say, I am here where I am today in my circumstances for the defense of the gospel. God has me exactly in the place where He wants to have me. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of what's happening to me, regardless of the fact that my whole world is crumbling down, down, I am put here for the defense of the gospel. And I need to find that divine, sacred motivation to hang in there. To be there for the sake of love and goodwill. What are the reasons that God is in it for? Now, the best reasons are really God reasons. Would you, wouldn't you agree? Can I read you some words over, over us? The words from the Word of God that explain or state why God is in this? Psalm 57, verse 10. Just relax and listen to this. Let the Word just wash over you. For your steadfast love is great through heavens, your faithfulness through clouds. Psalm 69:13 O God in the abundance of your steadfast love answer me in your saving faithfulness Jeremiah 31 verse 3 I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you These are God's words for us Psalm 100 verse 5 for the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever. And His faithfulness to all generations. 
You hear those two words being repeated over and over. Those are the best reasons to be in it. Steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love and faithfulness. The charge in Proverbs 3, verse 3, that's easy to remember, 3, 3, is to us, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. That's why God is in it. God loved you so much. God loved me so much that He gave His Son. His Son who spread His arms as far as the east is from the west and hung on that cross with all the sin of the world crucified on Him. And for all that believe in Him, and if you are here today and don't know Jesus Christ, this gospel is for you. Put your trust in Jesus. He died for your sin. God demanded in His righteousness that sin will be paid for by death. And all of us deserved it. That's the gospel. But the good news in that gospel is Jesus took that punishment. Jesus was the Lamb of God to shed His blood for my sin and for yours. Jesus went to the grave. But on the third day He rose again. And He's no longer in there. But He sits on the right hand. And from there He will come back to claim those who are His that put their trust in Him. So, let's finish with this. I know I can't make anybody to believe. I know I can't change anybody's mind. I know I have also discovered, figuratively speaking, that the church is made of sinners. I know that, that I can be afflicted at times and it's going to get hard. So how do I persevere in this? Here's the fourth thing to remember. Our joy in these circumstances that may not be easy is found in the who rather than the why. You remember Paul Harvey? He always came and said like, and now the rest of the story. You want to hear the rest of the story about Jonathan Edwards? It's kind of like Paul's. You know, when Jonathan Edwards was booted out of his own church because he wouldn't serve communion to pagans, they came back to him. And they said to him, uh, Mr. Edwards, you're no longer our pastor, <laughs> but uh, in the heat of the argument, we kind of forgot we don't have an interim. So, would you be the interim? In the meantime, before we find somebody that can actually preach. And I, I don't know about you, but if I was Jonathan Edwards, I don't know what I would do. I don't know. And you know what he did? He said, yes, I will preach the word of God. And for the next 15 months, in that mean town of, of uh, Northampton, he preached to those people that let him go. And they did mean things to him. It happens sometimes. You know, like they posted an ordinance. You can find that out in history. 
like they barred the city officials that went to his church. They barred his animals from grazing on a common ground. Okay, imagine this, all right? He is a 46-year-old unemployed man with 11 children and a wife. And it's not easy in, in 1750. And, and it's like, okay, you can preach at our church because we don't have anybody else, but if we see your goats on a common ground, we're going to shoot them. Or something like that. How hard is that? And yet, Jonathan Edwards never forsook the joy because he focused on the who rather than the why or the what or the when. He focused on Jesus and his legacy is, is incredible. The historian A.E. Winship researched Edwards' legacy and he found out that in the lineage of Jonathan Edwards was one U.S. vice president, three U.S. senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, over 100 attorneys, and over 100 missionaries, in addition to scores of pastors and clergymen. That was his children, great-children, great-grandchildren. That was his legacy. Because that man, according to the example that he sees in Philippians 1 in the Apostle Paul, never lost his joy. He never lost his sight on the who, rather than the what or why. He remained faithful. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Did you notice what precedes that verse? It's the sigh of that deep disappointment. Of that deep, I don't even know what to call it. When Paul says, what then? Do you hear the pain in those two words? What then? If there are people in my church that are not here for Jesus. Billy Graham and Adrian Rogers and, and D. James Kennedy, you know, these great preachers, they all said, like most people that sit in the churches in the United States, and I take it in Canada, I don't know if it's different, but these men believed they were not saved. They came there for good reasons, but not for the best reasons. They came there focusing on the why and when and what, rather than on the who. But Paul says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. I'm going to rejoice as long as Jesus is spoken of. Whatever the secondary reasons these people may have that's between them and God. What an awesome attitude. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 4.18, We do not lose heart. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We look to Him. 
When all is said and done, we look to Jesus. When all is stripped away, like the song says, that we will sing in a moment. When the music fades and all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth, I will bless your heart. Lord, I bring you more than a song. A song in itself is not what you require. I bring you my heart. A heart of a true worshiper that is willing to go to hell and back if that's what God ordained for us. But for all practical purposes, all practical purposes, a worshiper that is willing in the hardship of the journey at times to remember at least four things. The true ambassador in, in Christ does not count the cost. He knows the cost. The true ambassador in Christ is willing to pay, even to generate confidence in other brothers and sisters. That those who are in it for Jesus look to Him for that lasting, godly, eternal motivation. Because that's where our joy is found. It's in the who? The Lord Jesus Himself. Not in the things that perish. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love You. We praise You. I just lift up to You every person that is here. Every heart that struggles this morning and just ask in the powerful name of Jesus, the only mediator we have, the only motivator we have, the only King and Lord that we have, I ask for these hearts, Father. There are people here, no doubt, that are going through tough times. And I pray that you have implanted the word of divine encouragement in their hearts. And I pray that through their perseverance, others will be encouraged. And they will come. And they will testify. I pray that even today, testimonies will go out of these mouths and these hearts toward those that are lost in Barry. I pray that you would bring salvation in God's house. Father, if there is anyone here sitting that needs to bow down to the King of Kings, let them come forth at the end of the service when the elders are here available to pray. Father, I pray for the discouraged. I pray for the ones that need healing. I pray for the ones that just need a boost in their own personal journey as they follow you. And until Jesus Christ comes back, may we be found faithful ambassadors that proclaim and share the good news of Jesus with boldness. I pray this in His powerful, powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.